Treehouse products are crafted to bring you the best that legal, delivered-to-your-door THC has to offer. Treehouse utilizes unique blends of carefully selected minor cannabinoids that get you lit in ways you've only ever dreamed of. From Delta 8 vape pens with innovative blends of Delta 9 and THCP, to the tastiest HHC-infused syrups and hemp flower pre-rolls on the planet, Treehouse has got you covered. Ready to delight in dank gummies and puff-powerful vapes? Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. There's only one E, not two, in treehouse.com. When you go there, get 30% off your order and a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll. You can use the coupon code GENIUS. That's G-E-N-I-U-S. This offer expires August 31st, 2023. Grab your goodies and meet us for some fun in the treehouse. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Tara Vanderdusen. She's a fifth-generation dairy farmer. I also have uh, Natalie Kolarik. Uh, she's a rancher. She owns uh, Kolarik cattle. So we need to talk about their experience with ranching and dairy farming, et cetera. So thank you both for coming. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We're excited to talk with you and your audience today. Well, great. Um, maybe Tara, if you can go first, uh, tell me a little bit about your background and what you're working on today, and then I'll uh, have Natalie go right after that. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so you mentioned I'm a fifth generation dairy farmer. So I grew up on my family's dairy farm in eastern New Mexico. Um, I actually went away from the farm, didn't think I would necessarily come back and got my degree in environmental science from the University of Arizona. And then long behold, I would start dating my husband who is also a fifth generation dairy farmer in New Mexico. So I moved back to New Mexico to his family dairy farm. And I spent the last you know 10 years living and working with him on our, our family dairy farm and also practicing as an environmental consultant for dairies throughout New Mexico. And then about two years ago, Natalie and I actually teamed up and have been sharing online for several years and then launched our podcast, Discover Ag. Okay. And then, so between you and your husband, you could say you have 10 generations of Yes, it is a long history of farming. Both our families immigrated from the Netherlands, both of our grandparents. I actually still have family that does dairy farm over there as well. And now we are raising the sixth generation on our family farm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And Natalie, what's your background? Yeah. So like Tara, I also grew up in agriculture. I was raised on a cattle ranch in Southwest Montana. And like Tara, I also thought that my you know future lay probably off the farmer ranch. And so I got my degree in pharmacy and I was practicing as a full-time pharmacist in one of the, you know, quote unquote, larger cities in Montana. And I really thought that that would kind of be my future. I was very content. I loved my profession. I was close to my family ranch, but, um, you know, not living on it. And my income wasn't obviously dry from it. And then I met my husband and he kind of brought me full circle back to the ranching communities. So he was living in Nebraska. That's where he was ranching. And so when we married, I relocated down here and I kind of started sharing online. It was actually for a direct to consumer beef business. I was selling like our beef from our ranch, you know, direct to anyone online that wanted to buy it. 
And that's kind of what led me down the social media sharing uh, journey and kind of like Tara mentioned, led me to her. And then from there, you know, I've kind of ebbed and flowed on what I've done online, but I've always really stayed rooted in, you know, ranching. And then like Tara said, our main focus right now is our podcast, Discover Ag. Okay. And uh, Tara, so what kinds of uh, consulting have you been doing? What what kind of work do you do right now, both on your own ranch and, and for others? And then we'll go back to Natalie for her work too. Yeah. So in in the environmental consulting world for dairy farms, basically what that means is I spend the majority of my time assisting my clients with the permitting process at the state and federal level. So obviously to dairy farm, you need a number of different permits um, on the environmental side. And so that was what I assisted my clients with. And that encompassed, you know, uh, sampling water, sampling the lagoons, uh, soil sampling, you know, just overall nutrient management. Uh, I always joke that it was kind of like managing the back end of the dairy. So obviously the manure management, soil and uh, water conservation are the primary focuses. So what is manure management? I guess you're not disposing of it. You're reapplying it. Maybe if there's excess, it goes somewhere else, or maybe you don't yeah. have enough and you have to pull in from other farms. But what is manure management? Yeah, so there's kind of like two types of manure. Um, there's solid manure and then the liquid manure. And so the solid manure, we actually compost 100% of our corral manure. And it goes out to not only our farms, but surrounding farms. So we obviously bring feed in from other farmers. And so we kind of like to think of it as like a closed loop. Like it, we have nutrients coming in to our farm, the crops that feed, feed our cows. We want to be sending their manure back out to those farms to be applying those nutrients out onto those fields. And so that's what happens with the solid manure. Um, from the liquid manure side of things, that includes even what we're washing our barn down with. So we collect all the water we use on the dairy. We also collect all of our rainwater and it ends up in a lagoon. And then we use that water to water our crops. It's obviously a, a nutrient dense water and so we're applying it onto our crops as fertilizer as well as actually like irrigation water and so especially here in new mexico where we are very water limited you know drought conditions using like every piece of water we can recycling it on the dairy is really crucial okay so the solid manure has different purposes and uses than liquid and I guess, obviously, you wouldn't want to mix them. Yeah, so you want to remove as much of the solid manure from the liquid as possible. Um, so it actually goes through a solid separation system. And then, obviously, with liquid manure, it's harder to haul. I mean, it's heavy. So you want to apply it. It ends up being applied on the field closer to the dairy farm, whereas that solid manure can be hauled off-site and go to other farms, uh, like I said, kind of beyond our acreage, to be able to fertilize their soils. Do you add anything to it, or you just apply it as it is? So, I mean, would it make sense... Let's say the liquid manure could be a carrier for other substances that you want to put into the soil, maybe mycorrhizal fungi, or I don't know. So do you, do you guys ever add anything to it? We do not ever add anything to it. Um, I mentioned we sample that lagoon water four times a year, so we know exactly what's in it before we apply it out onto the crop, and that is really crucial. You want to know what, how much nutrients are available and what exactly is available in there. Uh, and so that's kind of our checks and balance in place there, as well as the soil sampling and being able to see what the soils need before we apply. Um, and so no, we're not necessarily adding anything to it. You can add additional water. Obviously, the crop needs more water than just the you know lagoon water can provide, so we will uh, incorporate more fresh water into it as well. Um, and, and kind of blend it with that, but that would be the extent of anything we'd add to it. Yeah, Natalie, we'll get back to you in just one minute. I just have one more question or two for Tara. You're, I just didn't want you to be left out. You're um, fine. I absolutely love how into this whole process you are. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. I was going to make some bad jokes that were, we're talking <laughs> shit you know, because of the... <laughs> I get talk a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so Tara, um, you said you monitor the lagoon once a quarter. What do you notice you know, throughout the seasons, like what is, how does the composition of the manure change? How does that affect your use of it? 
Yeah, definitely. There is seasonal changes within the lagoon. Um, so, you know, throughout the winter, we're obviously not applying as much water out onto the field. So in the winter, there's going to be more liquid there, more water. And so oftentimes you'll see the, um, you know, percentage of nutrients drop in comparison to how much water is in the lagoon. And in the summer, we're going to be pumping down that lagoon and actually utilizing that water. So you're going to end up with, you know, a little bit more concentrate. So that is why we're sampling so many times throughout the years to make sure we're getting like an accurate representation of how much nutrients are available then. And then there's some other like changes here and there you know different dairies have different management styles that will result in a little bit different compositions of the lagoon but overall you know it's pretty consistent um there there's just here and there the seasonal changes treehouse live rosin liquid diamond vape pens combine the impressive taste and potency of live rosin extract with the power of liquid thc diamonds to bring you an unrivaled buzz and mouth-watering flavor profile if you like getting lit Head over to treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E dot com. One E, not two. When you go there, take your vape game up to new heights. Enjoy 30% off your order and get a free Acapulco Gold HHC pre-roll when you use coupon code GENIUS. Again, that's G-E-N-I-U-S. Hurry because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. Treehouse, the best that legal, delivered to your door, THC has to offer. I would wonder is in the summer it'll be more active biologically and maybe there's different fermentation products that occur in summer versus winter. I don't know if, again, there's a dramatic difference or if you guys are even looking. There would also be, I guess, dry periods and wet periods that would make it, again, a lot drier, a lot wetter. But I just wonder how, how else it changes throughout the season. Yeah, during, so one of the things with lagoons, you have to keep a certain amount of freeboard. So mentioning those like wetter periods, we don't get very much rain. I mean, we're under like 11 inches of rain a year. So it's it's not a lot of rain, but you want to keep a certain amount of your lagoon space open. So if there is a large rainfall event, it has the storage capacity to hold that additional rainfall. And then as far as, um, you know, the, the microbial activity in the lagoon there, I, again, there is some changes between the seasons, but we don't get super cold in New Mexico, like uh, where we're at. We don't have like heavy snowfall. We don't have frozen ground. So we actually double crop or are in some fields it's more of like a cover crop style and um, so we are actually able to apply that lagoon water on our fields year round because we have something growing year round okay what, what are some areas that we could talk about that's under your expertise yeah so my husband and i also ranch uh, so beef cattle we are at the beginning phase i guess of the beef industry which is actually something i don't think a lot of people realize is how segmented the beef industry is so for example tara you know in dairy farming it's going to be owned from the beginning to the end by one person. But in the beef industry, it is really an exchange of hands. So my husband and I are kind of at the beginning of it. We're raising, you know, the calves that would eventually be sold off into the beef supply chain for restaurants, grocery stores. And so we could talk a little bit about that if you want. We could also talk about a little bit about different practices when it comes to raising animals, whatever you find interesting. Yeah, let's start with uh, providing beef to, you know, restaurants. Um, like how many different levels of beef are there, you know, whether or not you guys provide them? And what's different about the different levels or qualities of meat that restaurants will get? Yeah, so I guess there's going to be, you know, grass finished, grain finished. I mean, you could obviously get grades different when it comes to beef. So you'll get like prime choice select and all of those would be, be within the different finishing operations. Whether you're sourcing like grass finished or grain finished um, at the end of the, I guess, whole entire process, all of it would start out the same. So a, a calf just to kind of go through the life cycle 
would start out on pasture on an operation like my husband and I's. It is going to graze out at pasture with its mom, basically just getting forage and milk for probably about two thirds of its life. Um, at that point is kind of when you're going to wean the calf from the mom. So you're going to essentially separate them. I like to think of it as like a teenager when, you know, in, in humanology terms, I guess. And at that point, you are, you know, another ranch, another operation is going to step in and buy that that calf once it's been weaned and they're going to finish it. And so that would kind of be the second part of the beef industry. And then it would enter into what people would usually typically recognize as a feedlot. Um, and that would be the kind of the third industry that would enter before, you know, it's processed and either ends up in the grocery store or in the restaurant. Okay. Well, very good. And then, um, you know, the other aspect that you're working on, let's, let's talk about the animal behavior and health and, uh, you know, what are you what are you focused on there in regards to the cattle? So animal husbandry is like top of mind for most farmers and ranchers. You know, so we are at the beginning of it, we are in charge of doing uh, vaccinations. You know, you work with a vet to have a vaccination protocol. And it's really one of, the, I would say, one of the first initial steps to really setting animals up for like a really long and healthy lifestyle. Um, we obviously do use antibiotics when needed. And I think that can be a little bit of a misconception when it comes to the beef industry. It's not, you know, just given as prophylactic dose. My husband and I are only treating when we see an animal that is sick. We work with a nutritionist when it comes to feed. So, you know, at a certain point, the animals are going to no longer be eating just grass or milk. And at that point, if you're introducing and kind of going down the pathway of like a grain finished animal, uh, you work with an animal nutritionist to kind of make sure the forage, the you know nutrients, the minerals, all of that is the right amount and the adequate amount amount that the animal is going to be getting. We actually graze corn stalks here in Nebraska, which is kind of a more unique thing because we have that forage available, whereas not everywhere in the U.S. will have that. And so that's kind of a interesting thing that we do here. We rotate from summer pasture to neighboring corn stalks. We'll actually just lease them from like a local farmer. And then um, we kind of that kind of completes our cycle. We'll go from summer pasture to corn stalks. And then we do have a small window in our operation where we have to feed with like hay. And then the animals kind of back out on pasture again. Okay. What do you see customers want? The restaurants and the other people, are there trends where people are going to more like grass finished or, you know, grain finished? Like what, what are the different needs out there that you see? Yeah. So that's pretty far down, I would say in the food chain from like where, you know, we're literally at the start of it. And so I don't really deal with, I wouldn't even really deal with like a cargo, like a processing facility. So like a JBS, a cargo, any of that, where they're going to be harvesting the animal. There are operations that are in between where my husband and I, that would be dealing with that. But I do think there's a trend recently for direct to consumer. I kind of mentioned that at the beginning where, you know, you can buy directly from the rancher and you're kind of cutting out every single middleman in between. I mean, those are really nice options, I think, for people who, you know, want to support U.S. farmers and ranchers. They want to have more of a connection with where their food is coming from. They want to be able to ask their rancher, like their practices, you know, what they're feeding, um, they want to know that the beef they're ordering is maybe from one cow and one cow only. So there are some advantages to direct to consumer. Um, and I always think it's nice to see people kind of like supporting uh, locally or even nationally that way. Okay. You know, going back to uh, Tara, what I didn't keep all the uh, the topics in my head. I know we talked about the manure, but what else that you're working on that you feel like you know, would be good to talk about? Yeah. So I think one of the really interesting things, you know, Natalie talked about, obviously her cows are out of pasture for a majority of their life, which is really incredible for, you know, ruminants improving soil health. But on my end of the spectrum, our cows are in corrals. It's called open lots. So big, large, open 
pens, essentially. And one of the cool things about that is um, our cows eat a lot of what's called byproducts. And I kind of hate that word because it makes it sound like it's something bad. But essentially, uh, our cows are able to take leftovers from other processes. So, you know, when you process cotton, you end up with a cotton seed leftover. If you, you know, are making ethanol, you end up with, you know, different grains that are, are leftover. And so we're actually able to feed those products to our cows. And we work with a nutritionist. So all of our cows have a nutritionist that plans their diet and uh, really upcycle those foods that would otherwise end up in a landfill and just go to waste. Our cattle can, you know, eat them, consume them and turn them into, you know, uh, milk and beef, which is just a really incredible process of uh, being able to see that, you know, if you go into our like feed area, it's called the commodity area. So it's where we hold all the different ingredients that we put into our cow's diets. You know, there's so many of those bunks that are these byproducts that that would just otherwise go to waste. Um, and so to be able to see those kind of being upcycled into our cow's diet is a really big piece of our, our sustainability and being able to, you know, reduce greenhouse gas emissions across multiple sectors, um, not just our own. Has anyone bothered to, you know, like I know people and politicians are crying about, oh, cows are causing global warming and blah, blah, blah nitrogen use has anyone quantified what actually is is being emitted and what its consequences or is this just a generic talk that that may not even be useful yeah so uh, we a lot of agriculture animal agriculture has done full life cycle assessments and so we have comprehensively looked at the different pieces all of animal agriculture accounts for about four percent of total greenhouse gas emissions dairy within that four percent is about two percent so about half of it and i do think that probably if there's one piece of that life cycle assessment that is underrepresented it is the amount of byproducts our cattle are consuming it's really hard to to calculate that and it's very specific to the region so where we are in eastern New Mexico, we have the influence of West Texas. So I mentioned, you know, cottonseed is something we feed to our cows. If you're a dairy farm down in Florida, you might be feeding citrus pulp from leftovers for making orange juice. Uh, and so it's all very regional, very specific to where you're at. And so that makes it difficult to calculate exactly how much of the products are, you know, included in like greenhouse gas emissions um, or how much it's reducing those. But there is a really great study that came out and all of those byproducts uh, that we feed to cattle, if we instead threw them in a landfill, which, you know, so just throw them out because there's no other there's no other use for them, it would increase emissions by 49 times. And so it is a massive increase in emissions if we are not feeding those to our cattle. Yeah. 49 times what? The total emissions for all sources or just for the uh, dairy sources or what? For those byproducts. So if those byproducts weren't being fed to cattle and they were just thrown in a landfill to decompose, uh, it would increase the emissions versus feeding them to cattle by 49 times. So it's not even a trade-off. It's more than that. It's actually anyone interfering with cattle eating these byproducts, it would make things worse. It's out Kurt. Yeah, it's correct. And I mean, you are talking, I mean, this is massive scale. Like if you're close to a large city, bakery waste, grocery store waste, all of those types of things are things that can be fed to animal agriculture uh, that really like would otherwise absolutely just be trash. Yeah, it's interesting. Almost 86% of cattle's diet is actually non-edible by humans. So you're looking at a really large percentage of products that um, are potentially byproducts or, you know, wasted cellulose, uh, different things that cattle are really upcycling. Okay. Yeah, that's really good. The powers that they just are uh, oh, cows bad, this bad, that bad. So that's it's a huge nuance. It's different. What else? What are like some of the main issues in ranching and uh, that are going on today that you guys are working on? Natalie, do you want to talk a little bit about ranching? Yeah, I guess I'm just not quite sure about the question. Oh, well, I mean, we can focus on cattle or the manure or the supply to restaurants or you know, like what what area of the the ranching industry is changing a lot recently is uh, is coming up differently. 
you guys see ahead for the next year or two that's very important to look at yeah so i'll jump in here you know we've been talking about emissions a lot and you mentioned how nuanced this conversation is and i think that that is something that natalie and i spent a lot of time talking about actually over on our podcast discover ag is these nuanced conversations i think as a society and especially policymakers, you know we're getting really bad carbon tunnel vision what is the emissions of x versus x versus x and then like that's the only things we're looking at And when we look at our food system, whether it's dairy or cattle ranching like Natalie, we need to be looking at the entire system. It is a system and every piece plays a part. And I mean, there are definitely ways we can improve our food system and changes we can make. But I think in the end of the day, we have a pretty secure food system as far as we have a safe, um, affordable food system, an abundant food system. So there's a lot of things we're doing right as well. And we can't just remove like one piece or make a massive change to one piece and expect the entire system to continue working. Uh, And so it is these nuanced conversations we need to be having versus just like, you know, that carbon conversation. And I think that is something really challenging and something we need to work on over the next few years, especially in conversations with policymakers of making sure that, you know, the people that are making decisions understand the system in its entirety instead of like honing in on one single area to focus on. Do you think they they want to understand the whole system or they're just looking for, for things to use to advance their agenda as talking points. What's your impression when you've you know, spoken to, let's say, politicians or regulators? <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> I think it's probably a combination of both. I do think agriculture, as you've even learned through this conversation, is pretty nuanced. And when you are far removed from it, which a lot of people at the policy level are, and just in general, I mean, we're three generations removed from the general public. And so I do think there's just a lot of things to consider that you don't unless you're really in it, living it like boots on the ground every single day. And so some of it's like no fault to their own that they wouldn't understand or think that far, you know, far down like the food chain or the food supply or ripple effects or kind of, you know, full circle conversations. And then, yeah, I do definitely think that there are people who are maybe be like twisting words and pushing agendas. You know, the Biden administration, not to get political, it's just, just who it is. I'm not like pointing one way or the other, but, you know, they've set lofty goals of, you know, being by 2050, it's is it carbon neutral or yep, uh, carbon neutral by 2050 economy wide? Yeah. And so, you know, some of it's easy to if that is one of the goals, you know, it's easy to kind of dissect out, OK, well, what's an easy thing to do that we could, you know, cut emissions and have an effect towards this goal? And so I do think that's how cattle kind of get pointed to because it's like, well, we can just cut meat. And yeah, that, you know, if we cut meat from our diet, it does decrease our greenhouse gas emissions. There's a study that says it would decrease by 2.6 percent. But in the grand scheme of things, 2.6 percent isn't very big. I think that number actually shocks people that to know that if everyone, you know, converted to a plant-based diet, that's the only effect we would have. Um, but, but it's not the only effect. You said it would actually increase the emissions possibly because the byproduct feeds. Correct. Right. And, it, and it would also increase nutrient deficiencies. Uh, so, yeah, again, you can be decreasing something on one side and not have the full effect that you think you are across the board. I just think it's like a very simple thing for people to advertise, paint a slogan, create a headline around like stop eating meat and we'll have, you know, decreased greenhouse gas emissions. But there, as we're discussing now, there's just so much more to the conversation that could actually be detrimental. Do you guys provide uh, like learning opportunities for people that want to come observe ranching or any of the processes? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that Natalie and I are focusing on right now is really our our podcast of being able to bring that aspect to people and bringing in different pieces of agriculture. Uh, As far as like actually on farm, uh, you know, obviously we're working operations. So it's not quite as simple as like inviting, you know, hundreds, thousands of people out to our farm. So through the podcast, it's really been great to be able to bring these different facets of agriculture to people and and share with them and, and go through these nuanced conversations. 
our podcast is every Thursday and we actually break down the top trending news articles around food and agriculture. So if you ever see something that's like in the news that you would have a question about, like that has anything to do with agriculture or food, anything in that realm, we're usually pulling like the most trending things right then and then kind of giving our perspective, like our farming perspective on it. And so it ends up being really good conversation of just things that you may see a headline and think that was, you know, the full story, but um, we usually break it down and offer a lot of different viewpoints and other things to consider or maybe answer questions as to why that would be happening. Like, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's great. So wh- where can listeners find out more from both of you? Like what's the name of the podcast? Where can they find it? And what are other resources for listeners? Yeah. So our podcast is Discover Ag Podcast. Um, you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you like audio, like podcasting. Um, so we'll help you jump over there and give us a listen. And then you can also find us on social media. We're both on Instagram on our personal uh, handles where we kind of share more like day in the life of a dairy farmer and a cattle rancher. So you can find me at Tara Vanderdeesen and you can find Natalie at Natalie Kovoric. And we share, yeah, year round every day uh, about what's going on on our operation. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on the podcast and imparting your knowledge. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much. Remember, before you go, you've got to check out treehouse.com. That's T-R-E, only one E, T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E dot com. They offer an array of premium legal THC products, including gummies, vapes, pre-rolls, and more. And they're all delivered right to your doorstep. With unique blends of carefully selected cannabinoids, all rigorously lab-tested to ensure quality and consistency, Treehouse products give you the buzz you simply can't get anywhere else. Head over to Treehouse.com. That's T-R-E-H-O-U-S-E.com. Remember, there's one E, not two. And enjoy 30% off your order and get Acapulco Gold HHC pre-rolls when you use the coupon code GENIUS at checkout. Hurry, because the offer expires August 31st, 2023. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.